and welcome to another Ontario Animal Health Network podcast. My name is Dr. Maureen Anderson from the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs and co-lead for the Ontario Animal Health Network Companion Animal Network. I am very pleased to be joined by Dr. Doug DeBoer, who is a professor of dermatology at the School of Veterinary Medicine, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Dermatology. Welcome, Dr. DeBoer. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Today, we are here to discuss a very common challenge faced by companion animal practitioners, namely management and treatment of bacterial skin disease of dogs, specifically canine staphylococcal pyoderma. So, Dr. DeBoer, veterinarians have been treating canine pyoderma for as long as we've been treating dogs. Why has it become such a challenge now? Well, the issue is that Staphylococcus pseudointermedius, which is the cause of nearly all canine pyoderma, started to become very antibiotic resistant. Somewhere around six or eight years ago, we started to see appearance of really antibiotic resistant strains. And those resistant strains have become more and more common. Uh, in fact, in some specialty dermatology practices, they account for even uh, greater than 50% of the uh, pyoderma cases that are seen. So those multidrug resistant staphs are uh, increasingly common. And uh, general practitioners, if you're in general practice, you are, you are going to see them, and you will see them more and more commonly. And unless we can do something to halt the spread of that resistance, we're, we're kind of in trouble. And we know that from studies that have been done, uh, it's pretty clear that there are several things that have been promoting and will promote development of uh, the resistant strains. And that includes things like prolonged and repeated courses of antibiotics. Uh, antibiotic hopping, quote-unquote, which means use of several different antibiotic classes, one after the other, kind of without regard to susceptibility or whatever, just kind of random um, empirical use of antibiotics. And so those types of things are are important in generation of these resistant strains. And the really important thing is both of those factors are really under our control as veterinarians, so that makes it possible. There's things we can modify in our practice that will will help to mitigate this resistance. So you talked about an organism's susceptibility pattern. Can you tell us when veterinarians should perform a culture and susceptibility on a pyoderma case? Well, the short answer to that is whenever the usual, typical antibiotic treatment course that you use, uh, for example, that, that would usually be treatment with a first-generation cephalosporin. So if you, if you treat a parent pyoderma with first-generation cephalosporin and it doesn't work as expected uh, or it doesn't work at all, meaning either uh, the pet gets partially better and then just kind of seems to string along a little bit, or even in the face of therapy, there are new lesions appearing. I mean, that's a real clue that there's something going on resistance-wise. And if the pyoderma has been recurrent, and there have been many different courses of antibiotics used in the recent past, so you can see from the records or whatever that there have been multiple courses, multiple different types of antibiotics, you might even want to perform a susceptibility test even before prescribing antibiotics for the first time. Or 
or even better, as we'll discuss, uh, if possible, just start with topical treatment rather than using an antibiotic at all. And there are some other guidelines about when to culture. There's an, an OM infographic based upon some uh, consensus guidelines that you can refer to for more information. Thanks for mentioning our infographic, of course, and that's available on the oahn.ca website. Uh, so from what it sounds like, what you're saying is if you have essentially a first-time offender dog, it is okay to try one course of antibiotics as sort of empirical treatment, uh, but thereafter, if that doesn't work, like you said, we don't want to be antibiotic hopping, so we don't want to be guessing there afterwards. Um, so you shouldn't be trying multiple courses before you move to culture. One is sort of okay for a first-time uh, infection, but after that, we really should be looking at susceptibility testing. Exactly. That's exactly right. And or, uh, again, as we'll discuss, um, trying to avoid use of antibiotics at all, period. Fantastic. And we will talk more about that in a minute. So before we go any further, though, can you explain what differences are between MRS and MRSP and MRSA? Because we have all these acronyms, um, and we need to make sure that we're keeping straight what they mean, and how veterinarians should handle animals that are infected with these, these various bugs. Well, first of all, it's, it's really important, as you say, to get the terminology correct. And we can distinguish just saying something's MRS or methicillin-resistant staph, which is kind of a general term that encompasses a lot of different strains of staph. Um, and then we have MRSP, uh, indicating methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus pseudintermedius, which is the dog strain, the canine strain of staph. Uh, and then there's MRSA or MRSA, which is methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Now, this is the human strain, if you will, of, of Staphylococcus, and there, there are some different public health considerations between MRSP and MRSA. So what you don't want to be saying or having your, your, your um, receptionists or your technicians or whatever say is saying, well, this dog has MRSA. Uh, we all know that owners, the minute they get home, they're going to, to Google whatever you told them. And if they Google MRSA, they're going to see all kinds of horror stories about uh, spreading infection and people needing their, their limbs amputated and all kinds of things like this. It's going to scare them. And, and really, uh, MRSA, MRSA infections, are quite uncommon in dogs. You really have to be careful and make sure the owner understands this is a dog strain of staph, MRSP, and not MRSA. So that difference is important because there are there's different risks to humans or to other pets depending on the strain. So for example, MRSP, the most common thing, there's really basically little or no human concern with that infection. Um, I always tell people all dogs have staph on their skin. They just sit there and don't cause a problem. They're the dog strain of staph. They can't pass to people easily at all. Uh, so, however, uh, they can potentially be passed to other pets, other patients that might be in the, in the examination room, that might be in the waiting areas, and so forth. So, it, it's clear from studies that have been done that these strains can be passed around. Now, if they are passed around to another pet uh, and the other pet becomes colonized, that colonization itself really presents no risk. So, um, there's not going to be any clinical signs automatically. 
But what you're worried about is if if very soon after that, that colonized animal needs to have surgery or needs to have some kind of immunosuppressive therapy for cancer or whatever, you don't want to have a drug-resistant strain of staph present on, on the pet. That could then uh, pose a risk. So with MRSP, the potential risk is there, but the risk is to other dogs, not to, to people. On the other hand, if you actually do have a MRSA infection in a dog, which is uh, quite uncommon, uh, there's really, it's the opposite way. There's little concern for transmission to other dogs. Uh, it's, it's the human strain, but certainly that could be transmitted to in-contact humans. So the potential risk of if you have a dog with an active MRSA infection is that that dog could transmit that to, to people, to the owners, to your your um, employees, to you. Uh, and so, uh, again, should you become colonized with MRSA, nothing is going to happen. You're not going to develop illness. Mere colonization isn't enough to cause um, to cause illness. But if you don't you don't want to be colonized colonized with an MRSA, should you suddenly need to have surgery or break a bone or something like that, that could represent a real risk. So there's very different public health considerations between MRSA and MRSP. Perfect. So the burning question on everyone's minds is, how can veterinarians treat these cases without making the antimicrobial resistance problem even worse? And what should they do if they find one of these multi-drug resistant bugs? The new information, the important new information, is we know now very clearly that if you have a dog with a superficial infection, superficial staph pyoderma, you can very effectively treat that in almost all dogs using topical treatments and not, not using antibiotics at all. So you can avoid the use of systemic antibiotics altogether. The key to that, the key to using topical treatment for staph pyoderma is daily treatment. You need to get something on the skin, some antimicrobial onto the skin uh, daily, typically for three weeks or more. Um, and in practical use, we would say something like um, one or two times a week uh, shampoo, depending on what the owner can do. Plus, when on the days they don't or can't shampoo, they should be applying some kind of spray or foam or mousse or some kind of, of antimicrobial product onto the skin. So daily treatment. And you, you, many people say, well, gosh, I really don't believe that that's going to work as well or as quickly. But in fact, there's been some really good studies comparing use of antibiotics with use of topical therapy alone. And they demonstrate very well that, that with topical therapy, uh, the efficacy is just as good the time to resolution is just as good, and the durability of the remission is, is just as good. So it, it really does work. Topicals are also effective for prevention of recurrent pyoderma in high-risk patients. So in other words, prevention instead of primary treatment. Um, the only difference there is, is uh, once or twice a week is, is all that you need instead of daily treatment. That's really great to know that there is actually another option uh, to systemic antimicrobials because I know that's been sort of the mainstay and sort of the first thing people have been reaching for. So it's really fantastic to have that evidence there to back up using topicals instead. But like you said, 
um, compliance with the owner has to be a key factor in that case. So speaking of that, what kind of products do you recommend for treatment of dogs uh, with soft pyoderma? Most of the research that's been done on this uh, topical treatment approach has been done with chlorhexidine, and that is the ingredient that, that we favor. Uh, the research that has been done, people have tried to say, you know, what concentration's best, what product's best, what, if it's mixed with something, is that better? And so what we know so far is, first of all, the concentration doesn't seem to matter very much. Pretty much all of the products on the commercial market now are between 2 and 4% chlorhexidine. And within that range, it doesn't seem to matter. Just so, so pick based on something other than just the percentage of the chlorhexidine. What does seem to be helpful and important is if you can somehow include myconazole or perhaps clotrimazole in with the regimen. Most of the studies have been done with myconazole. The importance of that is that we know that even though we think of myconazole as an antifungal uh, medication, as an antifungal, uh, which it is, it also has pretty good efficacy against, uh, against staph. So not only is the myconazole on its own effective against staph, but it's synergistic with chlorhexidine. So chlorhexidine is great. Myconazole is pretty good too. And when you have them together, the combination is really good. Even for very highly antibiotic-resistant strains of staph, chlorhexidine-myconazole is very, very effective. There's some other ingredients that can be in shampoos, things like uh, Tris or EDTA or various other things, and there's, there's less study on these, though it appears that those, those kinds of things are probably less important than simply uh, choosing a, a regimen that includes chlorhexidine plus uh, myconazole or, or perhaps clotrimazole. As far as particular products, uh, again, it's, you can't really ask an owner to uh, bathe their, their pet daily. Most owners won't do that. So you have to provide something that will um, allow good compliance, and that means instituting some kind of spray a foam, a wipe, a leave-on, um, something like that that makes it very easy for the owner to apply it daily if they can't shampoo the, the dog. There are some other options. As far as ingredients, some people say um, benzoyl peroxide. That's a very effective antimicrobial, antibacterial. Tends to be pretty drying and pretty bleaching, so I think it's maybe a secondary choice for, uh, compared with chlorhexidine. There are some chlorine bleach-based products. There's less research on those, but um, they, they exist, and it appears they're effective. And one, one interesting thing that we've been using more lately, uh, which is popular in some European countries, is simply use of good old everyday alcohol-based hand sanitizer gel uh, applied to, to the pet daily. It's a really inexpensive thing to use, and it's quite easy. You just pump your hand full of the, the alcohol gel and then kind of distribute that throughout the dog's uh, hair coat and skin and once a day, and it works quite well. And here I thought pets couldn't use alcohol-based hand sanitizer. Look at that, another use for that particular product. That's great. So are there any other important aspects of treatment uh, you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? 
Uh, well, I think, you know, it, it, we're talking about topical therapy here, and almost all patients can benefit from that. But it is important to point out that if you have deep pyoderma, you know, not just papules and pustules, but you actually have deep draining lesions, uh, that clearly still requires antibiotics. The topicals will not penetrate adequately to uh, resolve deep pyoderma. And in fact, some more severe cases of superficial pyoderma, you may have to use antibiotics. I think it's always worth perhaps trying the um, topical regimens, but you might imagine a very large, um, densely hair-coated, long-haired dog with quite extensive lesions all over the entire body. That might actually be pretty difficult to get the topical onto that entire dog with the hair coat, et cetera. So um, in that kind of a situation, you can try it, but in that kind of situation, even with superficial pyoderma, antibiotics um, uh, may, be, may be necessary. It's, I think, important also to, to pay increased attention to clinic hygiene. We know that these drug-resistant strains of staph do uh, pass from pet to pet within your clinic. One of the risk factors for whether or not a patient is carrying a methicillin-resistant strain is recent visit to a veterinary clinic. So we know that they're passed around. So paying attention to clinic hygiene, um, hand washing, using gloves, um, designating one exam room in your clinic to be the room where all skin cases are seen so that it can be uh, disinfected easily and you're not bringing, uh, you're not examining a dog with pyoderma and then the next patient is, uh, you know, a surgery candidate or whatever. So just common sense things, uh, uh, paying attention to clinic hygiene is important. And speaking of clinic hygiene and disinfection of exam rooms, are there particular disinfectants uh, people should consider using if they're concerned about uh, these methicillin-resistant staph? There are, there are a lot of uh, chemicals, a lot of disinfectant chemicals that are effective against methicillin-resistant staph, but the way, well, the way things are moving now, things are really moving towards use of the peroxide-based disinfectants. Some of this is because some of the older types of disinfectants, things like the quaternary ammonium compounds and uh, uh, the phenol-based compounds, some of those things, there's beginning to be some, some concern on the human side for effects from chronic exposure from these things. And that's one of the reasons why uh, peroxide, stabilized peroxide, is uh, being used more and more as a clinic disinfectant. In fact, if you go to the grocery store and buy a disinfectant for kitchen or bathroom use now, uh, what you'll find is almost all of those are, are newly formulated to use peroxide instead of um, the former, for example, phenol-based phenol compounds. So uh, peroxide, and peroxide is great against viruses. It's great against fungi and other things as well. So, so the short answer is peroxide-based. Do you have any final words of wisdom for us? Well, I think the thing we have to, to remember is uh, in the veterinary profession, we kind of did this to ourselves. We got ourselves in this pickle through uh, perhaps excessive and indiscriminate use of antibiotics. We, we, we got away with that for a long time, but it's come back to bite us now. 
Uh, and really, then, the only way to improve the situation is for us to revisit that and become more knowledgeable about antimicrobial stewardship principles uh, and in any infection, actually not, in, not only in staph skin infections, but in any infection, uh, to learn about, to seek, and use any kind of non-antibiotic treatment for infections uh, wherever it's possible. So they might be a little bit more work, kind of like with the topicals, but well worth the effort in terms of preserving our the effectiveness of the antimicrobial we have available. That's it exactly. Thank you, Dr. DeBoer, for all your insight and advice. Uh, please don't forget to check out all of the Ontario Animal Health Network resources and infographic tools for practitioners, including the one on itchy dogs and antimicrobial stewardship. And just sign into our website at oahn.ca and head to the Companion Animal Resources page. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thank you once again, Dr. DeBoer. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.